0: Turn in your Bibles when you get a moment to 1 John chapter 3. December is a wonderful month, but you know, it's not the month you start thinking about Jesus being born. That's something that's appropriate to think about at any time of the year. But it is a time when when we're reminded of it more than most, and I think some people miss what a radical occasion it was that Jesus came to earth, that God was made flesh, the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. We beheld Him. We beheld His glory, full of grace and truth. What, a, what, a, what an amazing thing happened. You've got to know that all of history hinges on this point. All of history hinges on the life of Jesus. Jesus. That's everything from from Adam to Jesus you can explain by leading up to this cross. The reason that that God picked a chosen people to to reveal himself through. The reason that God uh, maintained a a, a line that that the Redeemer could come through. Everything in the Old Testament points to this moment. And everything after points back to that moment. And again to the moment which is to come, which is Jesus coming again. And so, when we're thinking about Jesus putting his little feet on the earth, we're thinking of a revolution that took place, an amazing, the most amazing event in history was, was Jesus being born and Jesus dying and, and being risen again. These two things changed the world. The kingdom of darkness, it's interesting because, you know, I think a lot of times we, we ascribe more power to Satan than he has. We have to remember that he is a created being. There is a difference between the creator and the created. You have been created. So you will never be the creator. Now, as the created, there are things that God has put in your hands to create. Because you've been made in his likeness, but that doesn't put you on the same level as God. Because you will always be the created, He has existed since before time. There was an old this is an interesting point, but there, I won't preach about this, but there was a moment in history when there was a man named Arius. Anybody heard of Arius? Well, that's okay. I'm, I'm comfortable with you forgetting who he is. But he uh, had started to spread a doctrine that Jesus was not on the same level as the Father and the Holy Spirit because Jesus, uh, he believed, had been created. That Jesus, as the Scripture tells us, that Jesus existed, was with the Father, existed before time. You got to know that when Mary had a baby, that's not the beginning of the Jesus story. That's the beginning of his time on earth. But the Bible says that all things were created through him, by him, and for him. That he was in the beginning and before the beginning. Right? Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, right? So, so we understand through the scriptures that Jesus has always existed. So Jesus was not created. He is part of the Godhead that created, the creator, right? And so the Bible says everything was created through him. But the man, this guy named Arius, he had, he'd gotten a little bit popular, and I'm simplifying what he believed, but basically he believed that Jesus was on a different level because Jesus uh, was, was created, whereas the Father and the Holy Spirit were, were um, part of, you know, the Creator. And um, so the church has a council. You might have heard of the Council at Nicaea. The, the, you might have heard of the Nicene Creed. But uh, this is when they're, they're, discu- they're discussing what... What should be what we all believe and what we all say. And this Arius, they gave him a chance to say his bit. And there was a guy in the crowd that tried to keep still while this guy was, in his mind, blaspheming Jesus. And he tried to hold his peace and let the man say what he said. But he lost his temper, he lost his cool. And he went up and he smacked Arius, he punched him in the face you're going to be shocked to hear who this guy was. That was St. Nicholas. Ooh. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> so when we're talking about Santa, now Santa's, Santa's fake. Santa's, Santa's a, a fraud. But St. Nicholas was hardcore, guys. <laughs> he, he was for real. Now, most of you know the story of him, you know, giving to the poor and tossing the bag in the open window so that, that these poor girls could get married. But But that's one of my favorite St. Nicholas stories is the time he punched a heretic in the mouth (laughs) (laughs) for blaspheming Jesus. Anyways, next time you hear jolly old St. Nick, think of that. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. Such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now are we children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Now, I want to explain this to you because at this point you might think, well, then who of us is abiding in Christ because we all have sinned, and we all still from time to time have stumbled? But when you look at this and, and he's going to explain it a little bit further in the next verses, he's not talking about, you know, you you making a mistake. He's not talking about you stumbling. He's talking about the practicing sin. And practicing sin means you're not repentant. You do it and that's part of your life that you just do this and you're you I mean you know it's wrong and yet you do it anyways and you just keep doing it that that's the lifestyle for you. This is not talking about a believer who who does something that they shouldn't have done, repents and says, Lord, I should never have done that. I know you're, you've forgiven me. You're taking away my sin, Lord. Thank you for that. I repent. I'm turning. I won't do that again. That's not talking about that person. So don't get nervous and say, I guess I don't know God because the other day I stubbed my toe and I said a bad word. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about somebody that has rebelled against God. We're talking about somebody that, that says, I know the truth, but I refuse to do it. This is somebody that the scripture says may have gone and, and played the game, but has never known God. It says no one who knows God would do that, right? And you all are witnesses of that. You're all, you're all part of that. You know that there, when you do something that is against God's way, that, that breaks the law of love. You know that, that, that there are times when you, perp- when you do something that you know is sinful. Immediately, immediately your conscience perks up. Your spirit does not feel right about that. And, um, and if, if not immediately, then soon after, you repent, you turn back, and you know that's not who you are. Because you've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. And because you have that conviction of righteousness, you know this is not me. This is not how I should act. This does not fit who I am. I've been made righteous. Therefore, I will live righteous. And, and when I do something like that, I recognize that, I, uh, that that's not who I'm meant to be. I turn. I say, Lord, your blood covers me. You've forgiven me. I'm never doing that again. Thank God But this is talking about somebody that refuses the correction, refuses the discipline. In fact, refuses uh, Jesus himself. And he says that no one abides in Him sins. Now, so he's not talking about those little, you know, you, you just send here, you sin there. This is talking about somebody who continually, just willfully, just says, I don't, I don't need to obey that, I don't need to do that, and they just do their own thing. It says, no one who abides in him does this. It says, no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Why? Because you could never do righteous things if he had not first made you righteous. So that practicing of righteousness proves who you are. But then he says, the one who practices sin, this is somebody who is just, this is their life. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. Look at that. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. Now I want you to pay attention to this very closely. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. Now, when we're talking about Christmas, when we're talking about this season, we're talking about that moment that the Son of God appeared. We're talking about the incarnation. You see, the Son of God, Jesus always existed, right? He existed before the foundation of the earth, and yet there was a moment in time where He appeared to us, where He took on flesh and blood. Although Jesus always existed, he did not always have flesh and blood. That moment came on the day of the nativity. That came when Mary had that baby boy. That was the moment that God took on flesh. Well, actually, I mean, if you want to be scientific about it, he took took on flesh at conception, really. I mean, in the womb, he was flesh and blood. So that was really the moment, the moment when the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. She conceived a child. That's the moment that God became flesh and dwelt among us. So here it says, why did he appear? Did he appear to teach us that uh, we should all get along? I mean, yeah, he taught us to love, didn't he? But, But some might say Jesus came to show us that we should all give along. We should all, you know, give to charity. But that's, that's kind of a wimpy version of what Jesus came to do. The scripture says here that he appeared. King James says for this purpose was the Son of God manifest. He appeared. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. He didn't say this is one of the purposes. He said this was the purpose. To destroy the works of the devil. To destroy the works of the devil. I like The word destroy in this context. He has come to utterly dismantle and and just abolish and put under his feet to destroy the works of the devil. The word destroy means to, I mean it means to make ruin of something that was built. It's just to utterly unbuild, to wreck, to demolish. You think of all, from that moment that Adam sinned. Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and, and Adam, who was was the one that should have known better more than anything, because God had given the instruction directly to him. So the Bible doesn't say when Eve sinned, it said when Adam sinned. Because God had given him dominion. And when Adam sinned, Satan had dominion that was supposed to be given to man. Man gave it up, man gave up the keys. Thank God Jesus came. The Bible calls him the second Adam. He came and he took those keys back. He took that dominion back. But you, you look throughout history and through that moment where, where sin came into the world, Satan had been building and had been, been constructing his own little empire. You read in the book of Daniel, when Daniel has a vision from God. and He prays, Lord, show me the vision. Show me the meaning, the interpretation of the vision. 21 days later, an angel gets to him and says, from the moment you prayed, I was sent to give you this answer. I've come for your words. Because of your prayers, I've come to you. And 21 days ago, from the moment you first prayed, God heard you and he gave me a message to send you. But it took me 21 days to get here because he says, because of the prince of Greece and the prince of Persia. Those weren't, he's not talking about physical natural princes men and women you know men who who were ruling over Greece and Persia you know Greece at the time I mean they didn't even have the same sort of princes like we're talking about when he's talking about this he's not talking about human rulers he's talking about uh, a demonic oppression a demonic control over those regions that had been so dominant that there was wars fought in heaven now if this freaks you out then you should read the rest of the Bible. It's even freakier. Um, (laughs) If you're a little weirded out by this, and you said, I I came to church so they'd teach me, you know, how to take care of my kids. I, I don't know about this stuff. You have to know about this stuff. Though we are not flakes, we live in a real world. We're not floating on cloud nine. We live in a real world. The scripture tells us very clearly that our battle, it says this in Ephesians 6, our battle... Is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of the darkness of this world. Principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. So there is a battle going on. Just because you're not aware of it doesn't mean it's not happening. One of the cool things when you get born again and when you receive Jesus is that your eyes are open to some things that you might not have known before. You may have had a sense, you may have had sort of a thought, but you may not have known that there's something going on all the time that you can't see. There's a battle you can't see. That's very real. Sometimes we get uncomfortable talking about it because, you know, it's, it's hard to measure. It's hard to, things we don't see, we don't trust. And yet the Bible says the things that are unseen are more real and more eternal than the things that we can see. So one of the first things you got to do when you start believing in God, when you believed in God, you started believing in somebody invisible, right? So you already went over to the loony bin. We believe in God. Now you're not loony for believing that, but people might think you are. You've got to know, and you knew this. I mean, even before you knew Jesus, you knew there was something more to this. How many of you knew that? You knew there's more. I, I, I don't know what it is, but there's something going on here. Yeah. Romans 1 says that people, you know, might look at creation, might look at the mountains and go, there's something behind this. Well, not only is there a God, there are angels. There are fallen angels. Satan is not the opposite of God. You know that, right? Satan is not God's opposite. There's not a good God and a bad God. Satan is is merely a created being. He was created as an angel. He sinned. He was cast out of heaven. He leads his own little rebel band, but he is not equal to God. And God will always triumph because Satan does not have power to overcome God. And he can never be as bad as God is good. He can never hate as much as God loves. You know what frightens me? It doesn't frighten me in the sense that it causes me to great concern or worry, but one thing that bothers me, I should say, what bothers me is when I see mature believers who are afraid, afraid to make the devil a little mad, afraid that if they poke the hornet's nest, the hornets will be mad. What that says is you have no idea what kind of authority, you have no idea what kind of firepower you're carrying. You have no idea what kind of authority Jesus died and rose again to give you. For this purpose, the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Peter says this in Acts He says, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. You recall when Jesus set his foot in the synagogue and he opened to to the book of Isaiah and he began to read. And in Luke 4, it tells us that he read, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to do this. In fact, let's read it in Luke 4. Luke 4 is Jesus throwing down the gauntlet. Luke 4 is his announcement to all those who could hear, and I believe he announced this everywhere he went. The Bible says that in every village he proclaimed the kingdom. He got to a point where he began to send his disciples out, and they went ahead of him proclaiming the kingdom. Did you notice that Jesus never went door to door checking for sick people? That wherever he went, the sick people came to him. Why? Because he had announced, here's what I'm here to do. And those that listened and had ears to hear said, if he's here to heal the sick, I'm coming. If he's here to cast out evil spirits, I'm coming. If he's here to raise the dead, I've got somebody that needs that. And they came and they found him because he declared it to the people that could hear it, to the spirits that could hear it. He declared, here's what I'm here to do. He says, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me. This is in Luke 4, verse 18. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Thank God for the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Now, let's use our heads for a second. If God's not the one keeping them captive, who might be keeping them captive? right? He didn't go to the Romans and say, let your prisoners loose. Those weren't the captives he was after. There's not a single story recorded in the Gospels of Jesus going and kicking down a literal prison door. So we're not talking about captives who got arrested for stealing political prisoners. He's talking about spiritual captives. He said, I've come to proclaim release to them recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. Now you might, you might talk to somebody today who with probably good intentions has tried to turn Jesus into merely a social revolutionary. Who might say, well, he, he came to set those who were oppressed. They were oppressed by the man being oppressed by the man, you know, systems, corporate, government, man. He came to like tell them like, no, you can't, you can't let my people go, man. And, you know, so you just end up, And they say, you know why Jesus was crucified? Because he made too many rich people nervous, man. Well, no, that's not why he was crucified. You know why he was crucified? You know, every time the Jews said we want to kill him, wasn't when he said we should give to the poor. They liked that. It was when he said things like, Oh, I'm the son of God. They didn't like that. When he, when he proclaimed himself, or other people said of him, he was the Messiah. They got real nervous about that. When he talked about a kingdom, which was not of this world. See, that's the problem. You can't turn Jesus into, into somebody who was building an earthly kingdom. He was building a whole different kingdom. That's right, that's right. And he built that kingdom. Now, does that motivate us to, in, in this earth to live differently? Yes, it does. Does it motivate us to have an open hand to the poor? Yes, it does. Does it uh, it motivate us to to vote in in such a way that justice and mercy and righteousness would prevail? Yes, it does. But the reason that Jesus was crucified wasn't because he bucked the system. The reason Jesus was crucified is because he made himself equal with God. Because he made people nervous on a spiritual level. As Jesus proclaimed this, Set those free those who were oppressed. He's not talking about the Romans oppressing. He's talking about the oppression of the devil. Because that's what Peter said. He said he went about healing all who were oppressed by the devil. What does the word oppressed mean? Oppressed means, I mean, think about it. You can, you can almost picture it. When you hear that word, your, your brain paints a picture. It, it's somebody pressing down, keeping you under their foot. There are a whole group of people that were oppressed by the devil." Now, we go and we think of those that were demon possessed. You know, there are diseases that have a very real scientific medical explanation. But there were some people that showed up at Jesus' doorstep, which appeared to have those scientific symptoms but the real problem was they were oppressed by the devil. That doesn't mean everybody with that disease has a demon, but in certain cases, there were people that came to him which would look to us like they just need some medication. And Jesus cast a demon out of them. Now, you can say, well, maybe he just didn't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe the disciples, you know, I mean, maybe Jesus, you know, they were, they were old-fashioned, so he spoke in terms they could understand. Here's the proof. They were better when he cast a demon out. Right? So that to me settles it. You know what I mean? Like, if he, if he was just like, if they thought everybody that was sick had a demon, and he cast a demon out, and they went away still drooling and slobbering and, and having a problem, then I guess you could say, well, that's just his old backcountry way. But Jesus was not a country boy. He was, I mean, well, he was a country boy. He wasn't a, he wasn't a, you know, like uh, an old-fashioned guy. He was God come in the flesh. So he knew science. He knew, he knew the physical and medical causes. And yet here's the proof. When he cast the demon out, they were better. So something he did was right. In fact, everything he did was right, right? We can say, you can argue and say, well, I don't know. I don't know if that's the problem. It sounds like this medical problem. But the proof is in, as they say, the proof is in the pudding. When those guys walked away, they were healed. So their issue was, was more than just a medical condition. Doesn't mean you need to go and cast a demon out of everybody that's got a medical problem. Because not everybody that's got a medical problem has a demon. But everybody that's got a medical problem has got a Savior who can heal the medical problem. Thank you, Jesus. So as he comes, you see him announce this. And you see people coming to him who are so oppressed. Like I said, we think of those that had demonic possession but you know it wasn't just those that were throwing themselves in the fire those that were going crazy those weren't the only ones who were oppressed by the devil the whole nation was oppressed they thought they were oppressed by a a nation they thought they were oppressed by Roman conquerors but they were oppressed by something much deeper something much bigger and Jesus came to set them free I want us to turn in our Bible's To an instance where it was very, this is a very real instance of coming into contact with the other side, the enemies. Coming face to face with demons as Jesus did. And I want you to look in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 8. You see the utter panic. I said before, and and I, I don't think I finished the thought, I said before that Satan is not a mind reader. He's not equal with God. So you have to understand that Satan didn't know when Jesus was going to come. The best he could do was listen to the prophecies and try to guess. When God would send a deliverer, Satan tried desperately to kill the deliverer. When God sent Moses, Satan tried to slaughter all the babies. He used Pharaoh to kill all the, babies in e- the Hebrew babies in, in Egypt. Moses was saved, and, and other Israelite babies were saved because of, of good Hebrew midwives that were protecting them. And in Moses' case, he was put in a reed basket and shoved down the river, and Pharaoh's daughter found him. But there was an attack on his life from the moment he was born. When the Jesus was born... Once again, Herod set out to kill all the babies in that region under the age of two. Because by the time the Magi had come, it had been some time since Jesus was born. It had been about two years since they saw the star. You might not realize that because we kind of figure them into the story. But they saw a star and they went a long way since they saw that star. And they came to Jerusalem, their search led them to Jerusalem. And that's, that's the reason that Herod didn't just slaughter babies who'd been born in the last week. He, sl- he said, every, every Hebrew baby in this area, every baby, he didn't say Hebrew baby, every baby in this area that's under the age of two needs to get killed. Now, the scripture doesn't say this, so I want you to judge it, and you can take it or leave it. But historical sources from the time, quote, Caesar Augustus himself, in a letter that he wrote, Mentioning this incident, and, and he seems to imply that Herod was so full of, of, of fear and panic and rage that he actually had his own baby son killed too, just to ensure that, uh, that it could be showed he was not playing favorites. So you see, there's a, there's a panic in the kingdom of darkness to destroy the Redeemer. What what a futile, fruitless thing to think you can defeat what God has done, to think you can stop what God has ordained, to think you can stop God's plan. So they try. By the time that Jesus grows up, the opposition hasn't stopped. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. If you look before this, Jesus has uh, commanded his disciples to go the other side. This is the moment when he went to sleep in the boat and the storm almost killed them and they panicked. They might say, why did we have to go through that? There's nothing on the other side we even want. When they get to the other side, verse 28, when he came into the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. A couple of the other accounts only mention one, and the best we can understand is that one of them was the spokesperson. One of the ones was the one that was talking, and there's another chance that that his companion might have run off, and this is the guy that fell at the feet of Jesus. But here's what happened. Verse 29, they cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Here's why this is so important. Now, these men have never met Jesus. To the best we can understand, this is the first time Jesus has ever come to this region. This is his first journey to the other side. His headquarters was in Galilee. His headquarters was in in another area. This was the region of the Gadarenes. This was not his home turf. He goes, he's on an away game here. He gets in the boat and he goes to the other side and he encounters two men that are so full of evil spirits. The other gospels tell us that when he asked the man, what's your name, that the demons interrupted and said, Legion, for we are many. Now, I don't know. I typically tend to believe that demons are liars. So who knows how many they are, but it could also be he's the son of God. They might have to tell him the truth. Either way, there's a ton of them. And they've been terrorizing people. People are so afraid they won't even go that way. They won't take that road because of these guys. They're running around naked in the tombs. And the Bible says that chains couldn't hold them. that freak you out. Now watch what these demons say. What business do we have together? All throughout the scripture, you see that there's this territorial... We own this place. We own this place. This is our place. You have your thing. We have ours. But Jesus gets off the boat and puts his feet on their dirt. And they're freaked out. They're terrified. And they say, what business do we have? Watch this. Have you come to torment us before the time? Now listen, what they call him. They called him something that it took a long time for even his own disciples to call him. The son of God. They knew who he was. And they were terrified. These aren't two guys who figured that out. These are demons who know. Now watch. What a weird statement. Have you come to torment us before the time? What's the time? There was a day of judgment coming. And they thought they were safe till then. We know we're going to be judged at the end. But let's just make as big of a mess as we can. They're aware that Jesus is doing stuff over there. But this is our turf. Jesus says to his disciples, boys, take me to the other side. They almost die getting there, but they get there. He gets off the boat. He sticks his boots, well, his sandals probably. It's cooler to think of boots. (laughs) Sort of a General MacArthur kind of thing, just boots on the ground. Anyways, he sticks his sandals on the turf, and they freak out because they thought we're safe till Judgment Day. What they didn't know, I don't mean to be overly dramatic, today is Judgment Day, Right? I mean, this is, this, is, this is movie stuff right here. Today is judgment day. Have you come to torment us before the time? What business do we have with another? Why are you here? And Jesus was showing them something that they didn't understand, that, that he came to exact and execute judgment right now. I've come to set them free. I've come to set those free that were oppressed by the devil. And I don't care where they are. I'm coming to them. As he comes. He casts the demons out. In fact, here's what it says. There was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The demons begin to entreat. And entreat means to beg. They begin to beg him saying, if you're going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. Now, this is a region where Jews and Gentiles play together. Um, so we don't know. We can kind of assume that these might have been some backslidden Jews who were keeping herds of pigs that they shouldn't have had. <laughs> Demons are like, cast us into the herd of swine. Just figuring, that, well, we'll just get into the pigs and we'll get to hang out and we'll, just, we'll, we'll, we'll get back into a, a human being or something. And he said to them, Go. When they came out and went into the swine, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. So that plan went down the drain by the demons. They just thought they had no idea that the minute they get into these pigs, these pigs are going to go commit suicide. The herdsmen ran away and went to the city and reported everything, including what happened to the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. Yay! It sounds like Samaria. The whole city came to see Jesus. Mission accomplished. Until so you get to the next words. And they begged him, leave our region. <laughs> That's not what, what I thought was going to happen. Whole city comes out to meet him. You know what? It says in, the, in, in some of the other accounts, in, in, if you look in this story in the other gospels, it says that they saw the man cleaned up dressed, and in his right mind, and it scared them. This is a guy that was running around naked in the tombs, breaking chains, two of them. But clean the guy up and put a nice bit of clothes on him and let him sit there in his right mind, and that's what's going to really freak him out. And they, they don't say, oh, we're so glad, you know, I've got, a, I've got a, a, an ant that really needs you. <laughs> if you could do that for them, you know, come, come here, come here, come here, come, come to my house. They don't say that. They go, please leave. It's no wonder, it's no wonder that the kingdom of darkness had such a foothold in this place. Too afraid to kick the hornet's nest. Afraid that if the hornet's nest was poked, afraid of a power they couldn't understand. I've heard people say this when talking about uh, the very fact that you as believers have been given the authority to step in. The Bible says, just like we quoted in Ephesians 6, that your weapons are not fighting against flesh and blood. You are fighting. He doesn't say, I'm fighting. He says, your fight. Isn't that a a sobering thought? He doesn't say my fights against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of the age. He says that's your fight. And I've given you the tools. I've given you the name. Well, that'll wake you up. We like to just think that we'll sit back and not make anybody mad and be nice to people. And God will go ahead and do all that invisible fighting stuff. But he says, no, that's your fight. Now, you can also go to the other side. And you can be so flaky that you think that, that that's just, you know, you're, you're up there swinging your sword at the air. But if you really read Ephesians 6, it's not just talking. I mean, it's talking about the full armor of God. And that's not something you just get to put on by going, oh, okay, I got the breastplate of righteousness. Boom, there it is. You know how you walk around with the breastplate of righteousness? You know you're righteous and you live righteous. You know how you walk around with the shield of faith? You don't put it on in the morning. You walk by faith, and that faith is a shield for you. You know how you walk around with the preparation of the gospel of peace? You preach the gospel, and you walk it out in righteousness, which yields peace. All of these things are not just somewhere you're just saying, okay, I put on my invisible armor. No, you're walking out what God gave you. You're living it. It's a force in your life. And so will that breastplate of righteousness, it doesn't just come out in prayer time. It comes out when I'm talking to Leah. It comes out when I'm talking to Chance. That helmet of salvation. All of these things are very practical, very real, very spiritual, very mighty. The word of God being a sword. Thank God. If this gets weird for you, get used to it because that's the world you live in. What you don't know is there's so many things being controlled by what you can't see. There is an invisible world that is more real than the visible world. And you, at your core, are not what you can see, but you are a spirit that lives in a body. I want you to see the judgment as Jesus comes. And they're saying, won't you stay away from us? But for this purpose was the Son of God manifest. For this purpose, the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the evil one. And yes, I know, the scripture tells us that when he died and, and in that moment of, In in that time of of death, but then right before the resurrection, the scripture tells us that he totally and completely destroyed the works of darkness. That he put them under his feet. That he disarmed the rulers. He disarmed them. See, that's why it's so weird when Christians are afraid. Because he disarmed them. And he made a show of them openly. He triumphed over them. But that wasn't the only time that he destroyed the works of the evil one. That was the big moment. But all that time on the earth, he was destroying their work as well. Do you know in 2 Corinthians 10, it tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. I want you to think about what a stronghold is. A stronghold is a fort. A stronghold is something that might have been there for generations. A stronghold is something that looks like it's got the right to be there. But the Bible says the weapons of our warfare can pull those things down and should pull those things down. I want us to read what, what Jesus said in Mark 16. Many of you know this well. We're going to bring it home to you because yeah, we, Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one, but I want you to notice something that when Jesus rose again, he had disarmed the rulers and, and the principalities, right? He disarmed the forces of darkness. And yet, when Paul and Peter walked the earth, Peter said, "Has Satan entered you so that you would lie to, Satan has entered you so that you'd lie to the spirit?" Paul cast a demon out of a slave girl. So we understand. That demons and the forces of darkness were still tormenting people even after Jesus rose again. If they were doing it then, what's to tell you they're not doing it now? Right? Do you think they just packed it in and when John died, they said, well, we're just, we gonna give up. We're just tired. No, they're still at it. And you're just, I mean, you've got the same authority in the name of Jesus. The, the apostles weren't walking in the authority of the apostles. They were walking in the authority of the name of Jesus. Peter and John, when the man was healed at the gate called beautiful, and they asked him, by what authority do you do this? They didn't say, well, we're apostles. We heal people. That's what we do. They said he is healed. He said, they said he wasn't healed because of our piety. It's not us. It was the name of Jesus. So the question you have to ask is, do you have the name of Jesus? Because if you think this is just something the apostles did, then they would have said by the authority of, of Jesus Christ because we're apostles. But they don't say that. They say we are we, we, the man was healed not by our piety, not by our holiness, not by our position, but because of the name of Jesus this man sees today. This man walks today. Look at this in, in Mark chapter 16. Many of you know this well. Jesus has risen from the dead. He commissions the disciples and it says this. In verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Now, first and foremost, you know he's not talking just to those 12 guys, right? 11 guys. Because there was no way they got to all creation, right? They didn't get get to everybody. They got to a real small portion of creation. And we'll prove that out in a minute. It says, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved but he who is disbelieved shall be condemned these signs will accompany those who have believed now how do you know this is applying to you and not just those guys who are in the room because the first thing he tells them is to go preach the gospel then he says those that believe the gospel that you preach These will follow them that believe. He doesn't say these signs will follow you guys. He says these signs will follow those that have believed. First thing you do is you preach the gospel. Here's what's going to happen to everybody that believes the gospel. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Do you notice he doesn't say you? He says they. Now, it includes them too. But I'm trying to just show you and prove to you that he's not just talking to these 11 and that's it He's talking to anybody that will believe the gospel of Jesus Christ He says they will Cast out demons they will speak with new tongues They will pick up serpents and if they drink any deadly poison it will not hurt them They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover so then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. Praise God. Now you notice when he sits at the right hand of God. We know that sitting at the right hand of God is a, is a significant thing because for a high priest to sit down meant that your work was complete. Jesus sat down showing that the work had been done, it had been finished. But the scripture also tells us that he is sitting at the right hand of God until all of his enemies be made his footstool. To me, it's interesting that the scripture says he sat down at the right hand of God and the next verse talks about them going and doing what he sent them to do, making those enemies his footstool. Now here's, we're going to bring this home to you. I'm going to bring this to where you live. For this purpose, this is why Jesus came, to destroy the works of the devil. Now, the first thing he had to do was to set you free from the bondage of sin and death. And he did it. And he did it completely and and wholly. There was nothing left undone. But he's also commissioned you With the same anointing and the same name that he had. He commissions you not to go out in your name enhanced by his name. But to go out in his name and preach the gospel. And then do these things. Lay hands on the sick. Cast out evil spirits. Speak with new tongues. He's commanded you to do this. He's told you this is what you're here to do. He's given you his name. His name means his authority. I want you to watch what happens. When those forces of darkness thought they'd claimed a spot, thought they'd staked out their space, watch what happens when Jesus steps in. They say, what are you doing here? It's not you. This isn't your turf, and it's not our time. And he says, I beg to differ. He casts those evil spirits out. As believers, sometimes we wait. We wait for all these people to find their way into our church doors. But Jesus showed us the example of who we were. Get in your boat, go to the other side, and you go set free those that are oppressed by the devil. And there are places in society, there are places in our city, there are places in your own family where it seems like God has no real space It seems like the enemy has won the battle already. It seems like they're a lost cause, and yet God shows us that he came to destroy, destroy the works of the evil one, and you were put on this planet to continue his work. You've got to take that seriously. Don't just be afraid that if I poke the hornet's nest, the hornets will be mad at me. People frantically call the pastor. Pastor, you need to cast a demon out of this person. Gladly. But there is not a name that I've been given that you haven't been given. That's right. The demons don't shake at my name without the name of Jesus. Now, I pray they know me like they knew Paul, but the name of Paul would never have cast anybody's demons out. Mm-hmm. They might have known Paul, but they didn't have to listen to Paul without the name of Jesus. And I haven't been given a name, a sword, or any weapon that you haven't been given. And so many believers are so afraid to go into the dark places. To, they're so afraid that, it, that if, we, if we make trouble, oh, if we make trouble, I don't know if I could handle it. You can handle it. And if you don't feel that you can, grab a friend and go in together. There are fights we've got to fight. There are people that have got to be free. There are prayers you've got to pray. Like I alluded to before, I remember there was a pastor that said, he was nervous, he was a young pastor and he was nervous because there was a guy that had come in and said, you know, there are, there are things in your region you don't even realize that are, that are that when you go into this place and you start a church here or you begin to, to, to say this is where God sent you, there are, there are spiritual things going on you don't even know and you gotta take your authority and you gotta stand up to them and you gotta, you gotta bring those things down. And he said, isn't that a little bit like poking a hornet's nest? You see, if you just poke a hornet's nest, You will have trouble. But we're talking about destroying the hornet's nest. We're talking about kicking it in, crushing it, burning it. We're talking about destroying the works of the enemy. I realize that some of you, this might be a little pie in the sky. This might be a little bit too woo, a little too flaky, a little too weird. But you got to know this stuff's going on. Whether you're in the game or not, it's still happening. You can close your eyes, you can close your ears. It doesn't make it stop. Your toddler goes around walking around and, and, and says, you know, want to go play hide and seek? Yeah, yeah, let's go hide and seek. And then they, they cover their eyes and they think that you can't see them anymore. They've just turned invisible, but you know that's not true. They think if they can't see it, it doesn't exist. But that's not the way it is. You can close your eyes. You can close your ears. It doesn't change the reality of what's happening. And I I've got to tell you, if we can't trust Jesus, who can we trust? If you can't trust Jesus to tell you that there are real demonic oppression and forces and strongholds, that that's really happening today, if you can't believe that, I don't know, you might be in the wrong place. You've got to believe Jesus. And if you want proof that he was right about it, look at what happened to the people that walked away. They were healed. They were in their right mind. But don't think that this is just limited to people that are, you know, manifesting evil spirits. This is, this is all around us. When the Apostle Paul talked about taking captive every thought that exalted itself against the knowledge of Christ Jesus, we take that and we say, you know, often we've taught and, and been taught that, that that meant, you know, when we get a thought that we don't want in our heads, we, we take authority, we take that thought captive. But the Apostle Paul wasn't talking about his own thoughts. He was talking about the the prevailing paradigms. He was talking about the thoughts of society. He was talking about the common knowledge. He was talking about what everybody believed and it just accepted was normal. He was talking about the the thoughts that exalted themselves against Christ Jesus that other people had started to believe. And he said, we come into a city and we take those thoughts captive. How do we take them captive? Through prayer? Yes. Through preaching the word? Yes. Yes. That when we come in, we take that captive and say, not in my city, not in my church, not in my family. Will the enemy oppress our minds? Will he oppress our kids? Will he oppress our society, our city? Now I realize that there's probably for us to get real down deep into this, we probably need to have a nice little Bible school, uh, a month-long training thing. But I want to tell you, if all you know is this, that Jesus gave you the, that he stripped demonic powers of all power. Mm -hmm. There's not a demon in the world. There's not, Satan himself could not stand up to you, look you face to face and and do anything to you unless you gave him permission to do it. I'm not saying verbal permission. A lot of times we give him permission in other ways, but you with the name of Jesus are more powerful than any power that the world is known. You stand up and you use the name of Jesus. You rebuke, the Bible says, resist the devil. Submit yourself to God because you only have authority under authority. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He'll run away terrified from you. That's how the devil feels about you. We make him out to be so big and bad, but the scripture says that when you're submitted to God and you resist him, he's terrified of you. Terrified enough not just to shake. Terrified enough not just to squeal. Terrified enough to run away in stark terror. That's how terrified he is of you. When you're submitted to God in the name of Jesus. Thank God for this purpose was the Son of God manifest. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. To destroy the works of the wicked one. He did all the work. Now finish it. He did all all that needed to be done for you to walk in the authority, for you to walk with power, for you to say, no, 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 you don't get to do that to my family. No, 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 you don't get to do that in my city. You set your foot in his territory, or what he thinks is his territory, and you say, today is your judgment day. The spirit of greed will not rule Lloyd Minster. Spirit of lust will not rule, Lloyd Minster. There are things that we've accepted because it's just the way it is in an oil town, and it's not true. And you've got to take your stand and say, not here. There are things you accept in your family because your kids are teenagers that they're just going to go through these things. Not true. There are things that you accept in your own body because that's just what everybody, it's just the season for flu. No. Stand up and say, not here. And if you start to get those first bit of symptoms, don't say, well, I guess I was wrong. I guess I lost. Stand up and say, what right do you have in my body? I'm not telling you to step out of, what you, of the authority you've been given. Because Jesus explicitly said, these are the things I've sent you to do. Go and do them. For this purpose, the Son of God appeared to destroy the works For this purpose, he left us on the earth. Jesus prayed that last prayer in John 17. He said, I don't ask that you remove them from the earth, but that you keep them from the evil one. And that prayer is being honored to this day. Jesus did not rapture you the moment you got born again. Get them out of here. I don't want them killed or harmed. He left you here to do his work, to be his body, to be the church. Amen? Let's stand up. Thank God for the name of Jesus. I want to encourage you today to get into the word and study this out. If you have any questions about this, I want you to be, feel free to ask me. You can email me. You can Facebook me, whatever. If you've got questions, you can ask me. You can ask somebody else. But don't go away just saying, well, this is just too weird for me. It's just too, too hard for me to understand. This is a real thing. We've experienced it face to face. This is not just a theory we're throwing around. This is stuff we've had to fight. And you've been drafted into the war. And you need to know what you're into. Like I said, you you ignore it. It doesn't make it go away. This is real. Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one. Thank God for the love of Jesus that destroyed destroyed the culture of hate. Thank God for the power of the cross. Thank God for the resurrection. Thank God for the name, which is above every name. Thank God for the blood of Jesus, which cleanses us, it guards us, it keeps us. Thank God. Lord, we thank you for your name. The name above all names, that at that name, every knee bows, every tongue confesses. We thank you, Lord, that it says in Ephesians that every name that is named Every ruler, every principality, every power, everything that has a name has been placed under the feet of Jesus. And you go on to say in the same letter that we are the body of Jesus Christ. So if it's under your feet, it's under our feet. We walk as your body. Lord, forgive us for when we've been too afraid to poke the hornet's nest instead of just kicking it. Instead of just destroying it as you did. Instead of saying, this is not okay. We're not waiting till judgment day. We're not waiting till the sweet by and by. We're not waiting for judgment has come, you said. You said the ruler of this world has been judged. So Lord, we, we, uh, we ask you to teach us. We ask you, Lord, that just as you've given us the Holy Spirit, that that spirit is a spirit of discernment, that you would... Um, you'd show us and you'd teach us, you'd keep us from just swinging at imaginary windmills and and thinking that we're doing something, but instead that we would be effective. We'd be submitted to you, that we'd walk this out in, in grace and in truth, that we'd see your hand in our families, we'd see your hand in our city, we'd see your hand in our church, we'd see your hand in our nation. In Jesus' name, amen you're fighting a battle right now, I want to pray with you. I want us to join together. The Bible says that one could put a thousand to flight. What does that mean? One can make a thousand bad guys run away. I don't know who that guy is. That's a pretty powerful guy, right? You ever stop to think about that? One guy can make a thousand guys run away. What kind of guy is that? I imagine that's the kind of guy <laughs> I imagine that's the kind of guy that's under the authority of God. For God was with them. One man can put a thousand to flight, but then he says two can put ten thousand to flight. We stand stronger together. So if you're fighting a battle, if you feel oppressed, if there's something you've been fighting, let's let's pray together. Let's believe that God is bigger, and the Lord is stronger, and His name is greater, and there is nothing standing against you that the Lord <laughs> has not already conquered. And as his sons and his daughters, we'll stand together and we'll fight it together. All right? Thank God. Let's bunch up together. Let's get a bit closer. Can we do that? You all right? Nobody's afraid of anybody else? All right. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we gather together as your sons and your daughters. We know that you've given us the name above every name. And in Jesus' name. We believe that whatever has come against us, whatever stands against us is no match for you. And we join together and say today is a day of victory. The battle is the Lord's and therefore the battle has already been won. We take our authority in Christ. We take our place in Christ. We know without you we can do nothing. But through you all things are possible. We speak victory today in Jesus' name. Amen. Anita, what are we praying for?